Well, up, Oasis. Let's go, let's go. Man, I'm so stoked to be with you tonight. I'm grateful to see all your gorgeous smiling faces on what is an absolutely bitterly cold week in October. But we're praying the Lord has warmer fall weather. Some of you doubted me a couple of weeks ago when I said we got two weeks of, of fall. You remember when I said that? Maybe it was a little prophetic. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But we are in this brand new series called Dear Father. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. I have been waiting for this series all fall. I loved I Am. I think God did amazing things in that. I was obviously super passionate about storyline. Like God did again another move in that. But I've been waiting and praying and expectant for this series all fall. And the reason for that is, is this series is all about prayer. And to start off, I want to hit you with the definition that we're going to work with throughout the entire series. So here's your definition to get you started. Prayer is coming into the presence of God. Throughout the next six weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. And every single time we do, we're going to use this definition of prayer. Prayer is coming into the presence of God, whether through words or simply presence. Prayer brings us into God's presence. Just think about that for a second. That prayer connects you directly to the creator of the universe. That's what gets me hype about this series. So I would love as your pastor for us to lean in for a second to be able to learn what does it look like to pray? What does it mean to step into God's presence? And over these next six weeks, we're going to pull some content from this book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It's a book by Tyler Stanton. And I'm, I'm serious. This book changed me. Very few books I read, I'm, I'm a pretty avid reader, and very few books I read would I preach a sermon series out of. But I read this book, and in my heart, it cried out and said, they need to hear this. And so we're going to steal some of his ideas, we're going to repackage them in different ways, but if you ever need a book to read, I would tell you, pick this up and check out what he has to say about prayer. Because it's going to help us lean into our question, how do we step into God's presence? How, as the children and people of God, do we step into God's presence? To start, I want us to look at a passage in the Bible. It's one many of you are very familiar with. It's, it's incredibly popular. It's actually a, mess, uh, a passage of scripture that I've preached on before, and one that we're going to do an entire series on this spring. Yet, it's one that can be very, very frustrating. Let me read you some of it. Paul says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, if you do that in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage of text to start off tonight. Maybe you've heard of it before. You, you remember some of us talking about it. Yet let me tell you why I can find this a bit frustrating. What this sounds like from Paul is a step-by-step -step guide to peace. And I'm not just talking about any peace, I'm talking about divine peace. Peace that we can't even wrap our heads around. Peace that is so crazy and wild that when the world is falling apart, which it often feels like it is, God tells you through his peace, you can stand put together. It's peace we're all craving. If, we're, if we can get real in this place tonight, when we look at our culture, and we look at that culture, and then we look at ourselves, we are often a pe people who lack peace, who find ourselves overwhelmed, anxious, 
stressed, depleted, worrying, just empty and burnt out. And our culture feels that. And I bet some of us do too. So we find a passage of text like this where Paul describes the peace we're all searching for, yet the struggle is real. He has this prescription. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Yet we still feel anxious and we still feel stressed and you still feel burnout and depleted and overwhelmed and we don't pray. Do you feel that? Paul says, this is what you do. Yet when we feel those same things and we're prompted to prayer, when we feel overwhelming anxiousness, prayer is not often our response. When we feel stressed to the limit, prayer is often not our outlet. When we feel depleted, prayer is not often our source of rest. Why? Paul, with such confidence, writes the letter of Philippians, and in chapter four, he tells you what it looks like to find divine peace. I'm talking divine peace, peace that nobody can understand. It is that powerful and potent. He tells us how to get it, yet we don't pray. Why? Why is it that we don't take Paul up on his invitation? I'll tell you the truth is, we don't believe Paul. We don't believe what Paul is writing. He tells us to pray, but we often don't believe prayer is the solution to the problems we're dealing with. And so we feel all the things and we walk through life feeling that burden, yet our belief counters our actions. We don't believe Paul and so we don't pray. Belief always impacts actions. Our issue with prayer is really a struggle with belief. Think about it. Belief always impacts actions. It, it does. 100% of the time, this is a fact. Some of you here tonight are college students. Let me, let me walk this out for you. You believed college was a good thing for you. And because of that, you're at SDSU. But we're at that point of the semester where some of you are deep. You are feeling the stress of college. You are drowning in homework and tests and bad grades. And there is a sliver of you that is believing that college might not be good for you after all. And if that belief comes to fruition, you're gonna hit the door because belief impacts actions. Let me tell it to you another way. Some of you, you met someone, guy, girl, and you really thought they were cute and you believed that they liked you, and honestly, you believed you liked them back. And so you pursued one another, and it was great. It was honestly awesome. They were your soulmate. It was perfect. You dated. It was all the things. But then one day, one day belief changed, and someone didn't like someone anymore. And it's in that moment where you see, yet again, belief impacts actions. It, it happens over and over and over again. Even to be in this space tonight, if you claim to be a Christian, you believe God can speak to you. We believe he wants to speak to you. We believe he wants to be in a relationship with you. And so that belief propels you in action to show up in a place like this and to sing songs like those and to hear from God's word. 
because you believe it and it's prompting you in action. So we're walking through this idea of our beliefs impacting our actions, yet we don't pray. Why is that? Here's what I'll ask. I'll ask for whatever assumptions or frustrations or beliefs you have about prayer stepping in here tonight. My ask is that you would bring those to the surface and you'd be willing to wrestle with them because we all have belief about prayer. Everybody's got something, whether you can articulate it or not, you believe something about prayer. My invitation to you tonight is to wrestle with it, to not just sit idly by as I speak to you, but to consciously be making the work to connect these points to your lived experience, to understand where your beliefs might be wrong. If you do that, my prayer is real, authentic, deep, true, powerful prayer where you step into the presence of God and you are changed because of it. I don't believe it's that far away. We'll do all of this by answering the question, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? I've said it a million times. I'm sure I'll say it a couple more. But I started a couple of weeks ago sitting in a classroom up here and I wrote it on the whiteboard and I stared at it like a crazy person. I just sat there in front of this whiteboard with this question on it and I stared at it. I was trying to figure it out. And I sent a message to all the Oasis leaders. I was like, tell me, why don't we pray? And they dropped some wisdom on me. And then I picked up this book and I read it and I reread it and I reread it over and over and over again, searching for the answer to this question, why don't we pray? And God led me to four things, four wrong beliefs that are hindering our prayer. The first one is this, we don't believe prayer is important. The first wrong belief that we have about prayer as people that kills our prayer lives, that drives us away from the presence of God is we don't believe prayer is important. And instantly when I say that, half the room is like, nope, not me. You'll wait for two, three, and four because you believe prayer is important. Your parents prayed, your pastor told you to pray, the scriptures teach you to pray, and so you would check that box and you're like, I believe, I'm bought in, I, I am a prayer. You'd swear tooth and nail, but let me show you what this looks like in real life. Lack of importance looks like distractions and wrong priorities. You can see it in the way you spend your time. You wake up in the morning with every intention to pray, but as you reach over to hit the snooze, right, you see your phone and you got a couple notifications and IG is calling and TikTok and it's like, oh, okay, just a couple minutes just to wake up. And then you're all of a sudden five, 10, 15, 20, 30 deep and you gotta get to class and work and the time you wanted to pray, it's gone. Or you were driving to work or class and as you were driving there, you remembered 1989 just dropped. You gotta support your girl, am I right? And so you turn up the Swifty and you're driving and you're vibing and you're all of a sudden you pull up into your work parking lot and you're like, oh shoot, I was gonna pray. Or maybe, maybe you actually started to pray. You started to pray, but then your phone buzzed. And then you remembered that you had a homework assignment due. And while you were thinking about it, you started thinking about, ooh, I'm a little hungry. And you started to make supper plans later. And you realized, oh, I haven't called my parents in that long. And I actually, that friend hasn't reached out. Maybe they're mad at me. In that work project, ooh, I don't think I did that right. 
In my, in my, my football draft, it's, 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 it's Friday, it's Saturday, I got to get that lineup locked in. Right? And, and it's the next thing, and it's the next thing, and it's the next thing. And all of a sudden, you had 15 minutes, you had 10 minutes, you had five minutes, and poof, it was gone. Whittled away by distraction. You see, that's the first part, but there is also another way. Lack of importance can sound like this. It can sound like, I just don't have time. Brennan, oh my goodness, I know you're a pastor. You pretty much work three hours on Sundays, then you got the rest of the week to do whatever, right? But if you saw my calendar, if you saw what I have on my plate, you would understand that I don't have time to pray. Right, because you got chores and you got work and you got homework and you've got friends and you've got family and you've got to scroll and you got to watch TV and you got to stay kept to date and you got to take that trip and you got to post and you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. And now you don't have any time. But I'm telling you, whether it's distractions or a lack of priority, both find themselves rooted in this belief that we don't truly think it's important. If we believed it was important, it would change the way we prayed. Look at your life right now. What is something you believe is important? Do you go to the gym, work out? Do you believe it's important? Do you eat right? Do you believe it's important? Here's one I think we can probably all hopefully relate to. If not, come talk to me. I would love to coach you in this. You believe work is important? Whether it's work or homework? Yet the same distractions that steal your time in prayer want to steal your time at work but the deadline's coming. (laughs) The deadline is coming whether you like it or not, at work or in your schoolwork. The deadline is not moving. And so when those distractions come, if you believe it's important enough, you're gonna push those to the side and you're gonna make sure you focus for a long enough time to get at least a C on that thing, right? Or when you're squeezed and your schedule's filling up, but you know you have to do that work, you're gonna find time but we look to prayer and we just don't have time and we're too distracted. And I'm telling you, I just don't think we, we believe it's important enough. At least not as important as Jesus thought it was. Jesus in the, in the four gospels of our New Testament, the stories of his life, he teaches on prayer 115 times. It, it permeates his entire teaching in the gospels. He taught on prayer more than he talked on faith, love and deeds. He taught on it constantly, but he didn't just teach on it, he practiced it. Jesus constantly was praying. You can do a study on his life in the gospels and see how as he increases in popularity, he constantly withdraws to the presence of God because he needs to pray. Prayer was a core practice in Jesus's ministry. When he did miracles, he prayed. When he chose his disciples, he prayed. When he faced the cross, he prayed. When he needed rest, he prayed. Over and over and over again, Jesus models the importance of prayer both in what he said and in what he did. Jesus believed prayer was important. Do you? If so, how would that change the way you prayed? Number two, the second right, wrong belief that we have about prayer is we don't believe prayer can be restful. This one rolls right off the back of the first because as people, we're often very tired and depleted. 
You're patting yourself on the back because it was dark outside when you got in your car and you still made it here. We roll out of bed, not excited and jumping for joy, but dragging our feet across the floor. We go to work in class and we're envious of the person who can just work from home and sit on the couch. We're tired, we're depleted. And when that happens, we often finish every day slumped in front of some electronic device, some kind of numbing thing, just trying to sit through it long enough till we can go to bed and start it all over again. Is that you? If that describes you, what could prayer be as a solution to that? What would prayer look like if it was a place of restoration for your souls? Hear this invitation from Jesus. Come to me. Come to me, all, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that from Jesus? In a world fatigued at all turns, Jesus offers a burden that is light, a yoke that is easy, and a rest for your souls. Remember, prayer is stepping into the presence of God. And so when we recognize that prayer needs to be restful, I encourage you, come to Jesus. Come to him. Prayer can be that simple. Are you exhausted, tired, depleted, barely making it through every day? Don't know how you're gonna stack day on top of day. Don't know if you'll have a future. Come to Jesus. Jesus who provides rest. Jesus who is humble and gentle, whose work and burden for you is easy and light. What an invitation that is. There's only one problem. We don't believe him. We don't believe Jesus will do what he said he'd do. We don't believe prayer can be restful. Many of us see prayer as another duty to check off the list. It's another thing that we feel like we have to put on our already crippling shoulders. It's like chores, ugh. Work, no. Homework, terrible. Workout, ugh. Prayer, pass. It just feels like another thing we have to do. All the while Jesus is standing there offering you rest. Do you believe him? Do you believe that prayer could be restful? If so, how would that change the way you prayed? Number three, the third misbelief we have about prayer is three, we don't think prayer or we believe prayer is about us being good enough. This one hit for me this week because I grew up playing every sport imaginable. I love sports, basketball, football, baseball. I wasn't good at them all, right? Actually growing up playing sports, I was constantly confronted by my lack of ability. In sixth grade, I played on this team that was the most incredible team I've ever played upon. We played tackle football in Sioux Falls and they had this rule where you couldn't win by more than 20. Stupid rule, right? It's like, I, I, it was so annoying. And the reason I didn't like it is because we were really, really, really good. 
And so by most of our games, by halftime, we'd be up 20. So my coach would have to tell all these 10, 11, 12-year-olds that for the whole second half, on first down, we just had to punt. If you don't understand what that means, you just had to give the ball back to the other team. And so three, four games of doing this and everybody was sick of it, we changed up our strategy a little bit. Instead of punting on first down, we would take the ball and we would run backwards 30 yards until the coach gave us a nod and we would lay down. We would start every single drive, second and 40. And this is how we could still play offense. It was the most amazing, incredible team I was ever a part of. Yet two thirds of the way through the season, I remember the coach at practice pulled me to the side one day. And as he pulled me to the side, he put his arm around me and he, he began to tell me that I wasn't gonna play on the defensive side of the ball anymore because I wasn't good enough. I had made too many mistakes. I didn't have the technique. I wasn't strong enough. I, I, my ability wasn't there. I wasn't good enough. And when he told me that, I went home and I walked in and I was crying and my parents couldn't understand what was going on. But there was a piece of me that felt broken because I wasn't good enough. And I think some of you relate to that. Maybe not in youth football, but for certainly prayer. You feel that because you've tried prayer. You picked up a book and you read about prayer. You listen to a sermon about prayer. You maybe even practiced prayer, but at the end of the day, you just didn't feel like you were good enough. And that belief, it's plagued you. Some of us, our struggle is attached to a false practical belief. We believe we need to pray in a certain way that is good enough. And that's just, it's not the case. That God is not up there concerned about the words you say and in the way you say them. God cares about you stepping into his presence. So I encourage you, stumble in. Strut in every once in a while when you're feeling yourself. Run in on fumes. Limp your way into God's presence. Crawl if you need to. But pray. Get into God's presence. Nobody models this better than King David. King David's prayer life is well recorded as when you read through the book of Psalms, it reads almost like his personal journal. And so we're gonna look at a couple of these to show you exactly all the different ways you could step into prayer. The first one is Psalm 69, if you could put that up there for me, Noah. David prays, he says, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. In this prayer, David is fatigued, he is tired, he is depleted, he's overwhelmed. He is all of those things, yet he comes and he prays. Put that next one up for me. David prays, Psalm 140, may burning coals fall on them. He's praying about his enemies. He says, may they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits never to rise. Can you imagine the type of day David just had? He's praying over this group of people. He says, God, dump fire on them. Some of you are like, I have prayed that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Why? Because David's livid. He's ticked. He's so frustrated and angry and sick of it. And he brings it right into the presence of God. Let me see another one. 
David prays, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell God my trouble. (laughs) David's complaining to God. Someone ever complain in here? I'm a notorious complainer and pessimist. (laughs) I love complaining. It's like my second love language. God's, (laughs) God's working on me. You can pray for me, but I feel that. David is mad about something. He's frustrated about something. God hasn't come through. He's upset. And he brings that to God. I got one more for you. This one is Psalm 6. It it reads, all night long I flood my bed with weeping. And I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. This one's interesting to me because David's not speaking. Do you see that? His prayer is not one of words. It's of tears. He lies in bed at night and he cries in God's presence. And he works up enough courage and energy to move to the couch where he then soaks the couch with tears. And this is his beautiful, authentic, real, a vulnerable, true, powerful prayer before God. I'm telling you, prayer has never been about you being good enough. God wants you to step into his presence in whatever way you can. So how should we pray? Famous priest John Chapman says it like this. He says, pray as you can. Don't pray. Don't try and pray as others do. Pray as you can. Don't try and pray as you can't. It is so simple here. Do you lack fancy words or nice flow? God doesn't care. We get so stuck in comparison because you heard that person pray and you can't do that. And so you'll never try. But God is not asking you to pray like someone else. He's asking you to pray like you. Otherwise, one of my favorite quotes by Christian scholar Richard Foster is he says, in the same way that a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. Isn't that beautiful? You ever had a little kid draw you a picture? They're terrible! (laughs) Kids are awful artists. They'll draw you like a couple squiggles and be like, you like my dog? And you're like, no, but here's what happens. That's, that was too real, sorry. Here's what happens. What happens when that kid drops that picture in your lap? And you can't tell what it is because it's a terrible drawing. But you act like Picasso drew it just for you. And God is the same way when he receives the prayers of his children. Did you stumble Stutter, mess up, repeat yourself, fall, fall, fall asleep halfway through the prayer, run out of words, get embarrassed, say something dumb. God looks at you as a child who he loves and he accepts that prayer. Others of us, our struggle might not be practical. It's a false theological belief. Some of us, we think we are too far gone from God that there is no way God could hear my prayers. 
The enemy has tricked us into believing that somehow, some way, our sin has separated us from God in a way that he doesn't hear our prayers even though we're Christians. Right? If you, if you aren't a Christian, you're separated from God. Your sin has, has put distance between you and God. But if you're a Christian, Jesus has closed that gap. And it is no longer up to you to be good enough, to live holy enough, to never make a mistake in order for God to hear your prayers. Jesus has done all of that work. 1 John 1.9 teaches, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful prayer. Some of us, we need to sit in this tonight, that you are not too far gone for God to hear your prayers. You don't have to be good enough. Jesus was. If you believed prayer wasn't about you being good enough, how would that change the way you prayed? Finally, we struggle to pray because for we don't believe prayer works. When we strip it down to the nuts and bolts, some of us truly just don't believe prayer works. And here's where I have a confession of my own, that I almost never bought textbooks in college. And I say almost because there was one semester, one very ignorant semester, where I showed up as a freshman and SDSU slid me this paper, right? It's electronic, but that's what it felt like. And there was all of these zeros at the bottom and they said, if you don't buy these books, you're gonna fail. And I went, I have to buy the books. And so I ran to the bookstore the first day it opened, right? I'm an overachiever. I bought the books, I came home, I put them on my bookshelf and I never touched them. <laughs> now, granted, I didn't have the hardest majors. And this is by no means a prescription of you. So you don't, your parents don't need to email me, right? But this worked for me because I realized I did fine without those textbooks. And so second semester, when SDSU was hitting me up, like, <laughs> you know, like we're gonna get his money, right? They were hitting me up. Ain't no way I was doing that again. I made that mistake once, it didn't work for me. I wasn't going back. And for some of us, that feels like prayer. You tried it, you did it, it didn't work for you. You're not going back. Maybe you had an experience like mine that formed that belief. That you had someone you love who was sick and you prayed. You prayed with all the faith you could muster. You prayed over and over. You labored in prayer. You did everything the scripture taught. You prayed, but God never healed them. So you're done with prayer or there was a moment you needed God to come through. It was one of those situations where if God didn't show up, it was gonna end badly. And it ended badly. So you're done with prayer. Or there's someone in your life who you have prayed and prayed and prayed for them to come to know Jesus, to know the hope that you have. You have prayed and they feel farther from the truth now and when you started praying years ago. So you're done with prayer. Some of us, we just don't believe prayer works. You had an experience that shaped you. So you're done. And it's in that 
I want to encourage you to practice prayer. I want you to try again with prayer. I want you to come back to prayer. If I could ask you to do something tonight, would it be to practice prayer again, to try it again? Because prayer is still powerful. I could stand up here tonight and tell you countless stories of how God has answered some, not all, oh, certainly not all, but some of my prayers. And some of them, God has answered in ways that if I wouldn't have wrote it down or experienced it with others, I would have a hard time believing it myself. And sometimes God has answered in such subtle ways where if I didn't retreat to his presence, I would have never seen it. And I could tell you story after story, but I don't think you need my experience. I think you need a redeemed your own experience. I think you need to practice prayer again. Remember, it's stepping into God's presence. Would you come back to God tonight? In whatever way you can, stumble in, limp in, crawl in, whatever works for you, come back to God. Otherwise, there's others of us in the room who our struggle is not that we have a bad experience with prayer, but it's we've never prayed. I've heard people talk about it. I've seen them do it, but pray, nah. If that's you, the invitation is still the same. Practice prayer. Take God up on a promise like 1 Peter 3.12, where it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to his prayers. Remember when I told you I was excited about this series? It's because of a verse like that, that the God of the universe in this moment right now is listening to your prayers. The words you could speak in a moment like this, as great or as terrible as they might sound, God hears you. Come to him. Ultimately, our actions are rooted in what we believe. Some of us, we have this belief that prayer isn't important. Others of us, we don't believe prayer can be restful. Some of us, we are so steeped in trying to figure out how prayer can be about us and us being good enough And lastly, some of us just don't believe prayer works. And I told you tonight, I wanted you to wrestle with those things. I wanted you to sit here and hear some of that and think of your own experience. Why don't you pray? And chances are there's some of this in there. And so I encourage you, practice prayer. Come back to God. In Luke 11, the disciples come up to Jesus and they ask him how to pray. And when Jesus responds to that request, you know what he does? He prays. He simply just starts praying in front of this group of people. Prayer is best learned through practice. Richard Foster again, he challenges and he says, we learn to pray by praying. Thomas Merton, another famous Christian, wrote, if we want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. Finally, Mother Teresa taught, if we really mean to pray and we want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. This whole series is gonna give you a lot of great content around prayer. I believe it. But none of it'll matter unless we actually start praying. I can give you another tip and trick 
and sermon illustration and fancy idea and great point. But if we won't practice prayer, it won't matter. So I encourage you, practice. Practice in a way that doesn't demand perfection from yourself, but that seeks progress. That each and every day we would get a little bit better. And month over month and year over year and decade over decade, we would be the grandparents. We would see pray at Thanksgiving and Christmas and our grandkids would say, I wanna pray like them. That happens through practice, through faithfulness, through obedience. Would you pray with me?